Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And we have a really good show for you today. Uh, we've been talking about buying and selling businesses, obviously, for over a year now. And uh, we've been talking more and more about companies buying companies, opportunities, because the baby boomers are going to retire. There's there's going to be a lot of opportunity. We just want to keep drilling down on the ways that you can buy businesses. And one of the biggest things is people are scared, right, Jessica? Yeah, I mean, I think mostly because it's the for most people, it's the first time they're buying a business. It's it's an unknown process. And and like we've talked about, we started this podcast because there's not a lot of information out there about how to buy or sell a business. So it can be a little bit scary um, and it can be perceived risky. Um, but I do think, and we've talked about this a lot, like it's actually much less risky than doing some other things in business, like even a startup, right? Yeah, it's way less risky than a startup. But, uh, I, you know, we talk about stocks or, you know, buying stocks, that's supposedly less risky. And then all you have to think about is some of the, you know, crazy things that have happened in the stock market, like, you know, WorldCom and Enron and all these things that people had, uh, you know, huge investments in Lucent. And you that's really out of con your control. I mean, really, at the end of the day, you're betting on yourself and you're betting on your abilities. So if you feel good about yourself, you're halfway home. I think the other halfway uh, that you have to overcome is trying to minimize the risk of what you're buying. Right, right. And that's what we're really going to talk about, about today is, okay, you've made the decision to buy a business. You see the return on it. Um, you're ready to jump in. But how do you minimize the risk that something bad is going to happen or, you know, the first year is going to be rocky. So we're going to go through 11 different ways of how you can minimize that risk today and give you some examples. And hopefully you can take some things away that you can implement if you're looking to buy a business now, or if you're kind of sitting on the sidelines waiting to decide, maybe this will give you some more information and make you feel more empowered to move forward with that decision. Yeah. And so I'll kick it off at the first one. And probably the most important one is that you're going to need a good attorney and, and a reputable business attorney. There's plenty of attorneys out there. We've worked with uh, hundreds of attorneys here in, in Florida over the years. I know you've worked with a ton of attorneys uh, over the last several years. And nothing more invaluable than having someone who knows the pitfalls and knows the paperwork in buying a business. Right. I, I couldn't agree on this one more. You know, we are business brokers and we find value for business brokers in a deal, but I, I agree wholeheartedly that the business attorney is probably the most critical piece um, if you're buying a business. And I always say that not every attorney is created equal. One, one piece of advice that I give to buyers is when you're interviewing attorneys to work with, and you should interview a couple, is just ask them, are they familiar with small business transaction work? And if so, how many deals have they done in the last year? Um, 
We work with a great firm in Colorado that does 150 to 200 deals per year. And if you think about how much experience they have just on their team within the last 12 months, what they've seen, pitfalls to avoid, as a new client, you benefit from all that experience and you they, there'll be less risk in your transaction because they've seen not at all, but they've seen a lot. Yeah. I mean, we can't, I can't emphasize this enough that you need someone who knows what they're doing, who's worked with several business brokers. Even if you're buying it on your own, you should find, you should ask your fellow business brokers, which attorneys they use. And, and, and one size does not fit all. And it, they have different talents, but they have different price tags too. Right. Right. Yeah. You're going to see price tags all over the board. And, and at some point it, it does just depend on the transaction size. Like if you're buying a small business, you don't need a huge multinational firm or multi-city firm, um, you know, paying thousands of dollars an hour. Um, and on the flip side, if you're buying a very large business, you might not want to be going with the solo um, attorney. But again, interview a couple of them, make sure that they've come highly recommended. They have transactional experience in the size deals that you're looking for. And this is like we said, it's the number one reason or number one way to mitigate your risk for a reason. It's just, you can't go, you can't skip this step. Like a business attorney is very, very important in the transaction. Yeah. And even post-transaction, right? Uh, these attorneys, they're the paperwork they write up, things come up after the closing. Uh, you're going to want to have someone by your side, probably, you know, and, and it might not be the same attorney later on in, the, in, in your life as a business owner. Uh, you might need a litigation attorney as opposed to someone who does transactions, but the transactional attorney will be a resource probably through the first year. And that's what we're talking about. Right. And I think just one more note is that if you are in a, buying a business in an industry that's highly regulated or highly specialized, it would be helpful to find an attorney who has experience in that industry. I mean, one we talk a lot about in Colorado, obviously, is cannabis. Um, and there's very specific laws and not every a business attorney or every transactional attorney is familiar of how to transfer the licenses and work with the state. And that's, that's helpful. It can get things done faster, which also means a lower price tag. So just another thing to think of when you're looking for an attorney. Yeah, agreed. And you said it before, if it's a complicated transaction that has real estate, environmental IP, you're probably going to need a firm. You're going to need someone with that has those disciplines. So now that we've hammered home the attorney, moving on yeah. to number two. Yeah. The the second- It was a good number one though. Yeah, it is a good one. Number one, it is the most important. But here's, you know, the second way to protect yourself um, and risk in buying a business is hire a good business accountant. And this kind of goes hand in hand with a business attorney. As you're going through due diligence, you want a partner that can help you vet those financials and verify the past income and, and also look for possible liabilities that you can be on the hook for in the future. Um, so that's another good one to ask your, your business broker for or, you know, if you've already hired an attorney, ask the attorney who they've worked with in the past in terms of an accounting firm. And there's a ton of opinions right now uh, with the new tax laws on what structure you should have moving forward. I mean, it's there's some really interesting ways to buy businesses uh, in retirement, uh, whether or not you should have a C corporation, whether or not you should have an S corporation these days or an LLC. I mean, there's an opinion and they vary, right? 
Right. All, all over the board. And I think, um, I've seen some really good accounting firms will kind of actually give you examples of if you structured the transaction this way, this is what the taxes are going to look like. And here's a second option. So, so accountants, again, with transactional experience that have worked in buy sell before, um, can really help you vet what's going to be the best way for you. And also again, really help through that due diligence process. It's, if it's your first time buying a business, um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about doing your homework, but you're not going to know everything and you're not going to go know everything to look for and how to look for it. So good accounting partner can help you through that financial due diligence. Yeah. And a a good accountant is going to be invaluable moving forward as well. You need to keep good books and records. And one of the things you got to watch out for is when you buy the business, right? So uh, if you buy a business January through April 15th, or you buy a business in, or you're looking to buy a business in say August through October, uh, you might find that your accountants are pretty busy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And again, that goes back to looking um, at multiple different accounting um, and you could look at small firms and big firms. And if you're in one of those busy times, sometimes going to a big firm that has multiple departments. So you're removed from the tax preparation process and your accountant has a little bit more time to pay attention to your deal. Yep. All good. So that you mentioned our third thing that is a great uh, thing to have or do to minimize risk is do your homework. I mean, we have the internet these days. I mean, when I first started here 25 years ago and had more hair, uh, we didn't have the internet. So you could do so much research on an industry, on a business, on a local community online these days. Right. And I think we've talked about it in, um, I think we talked about it in our flippers episode, which I think was number 17 or 18, that there are buyers that successfully buy a business that they don't have industry experience in. They might bring a special talent or skill like marketing to a new industry and be able to amplify that business and grow it. But you do need to do your homework about the industry you're getting into. I think the internet's a great way to do it. Um, there's industry associations almost for every industry in every state. And most of those associations will let you come to a meeting or a conference as kind of a guest, sometimes for free even. Um, And that's a really great way to do homework. Um, There's online courses, you can research competitors' websites, but really doing your homework and knowing what you're getting into. What what are the big opportunities in the industry you're buying into? And also what are the challenges that you're going to be facing? Yeah. The only warning I have for people is don't have paralysis by analysis. I mean, you know, you don't want to go too far. I mean, but there's plenty of ways to figure out if something's about to change. So it's uh, it's great advice. What's the next one? The next one is socks and money way. And this one's really important too. And we see actually the buyers um, that think of this do really well down the road. But when we're talking about socking money away, we're talking about having excess working capital beyond the purchase price to help you post-purchase. So if you think about this, you're not just going to need capital for the purchase price of the business, but you're going to need some cash in reserves for your first six months or a year in business, especially, and we've seen this um, done a couple times, a big mistake is if you're buying a business that has um, slow receivables or they're working with like government contracts and your typical turn on your AR is going to be 90 days, you're going to need some excess working capital for the first three, six, 12 months. Yeah. And especially if you buy something that's seasonal, I mean, down here in Florida, 
or up there in Denver, I, uh, we have some seasons, right? Where tourism is high or the cities are busy and you got to watch out for seasonality in a business. So, and everyone, everyone, even me, I've done it before when I bought Transworld, I underestimated how much money I would need personally to live beyond the business. So forget the business needing more working capital. You always underestimate what you're kind of going through personally. So, you know, listen, uh, going long on your credit cards is something of uh, a, a, a tale that everybody loves to tell uh, and beat their chest, but it's not fun. So, and the SBA does a good job of giving uh, people uh, working capital, don't they? Yeah. I mean, if you're working with a, a good commercial banker, they're going to ask you about working capital. Um, and something we always say too, is like, you know, if they're, they're willing to offer you working capital or excess working capital beyond what you need, don't ever say no, take, take the money, right? You can, it's always good to have extra reserves, but a good business banker will help you get that working capital looped into your um, acquisition loan as well. Great. Great. And so I think we covered that one. Good. So this next one is it takes work to buy a business. You must commit to the work. I mean, I always say when you buy a business, work can always overcome a lot of bad things that happen pre-deal, during the deal, and post-deal. You just got to work hard, right? Right. I, you know, I think that's a good point, Andy. You know, things are going not going to go the exact way you think they're going to go. But working hard and, you know, unfortunately working long hours does remove a lot of those things that don't exactly go your way. Um, what's the saying that entrepreneurs are the only people that are willing to work 80 hours for themselves to avoid working 40 hours for somebody else? And it's funny, but it's so true, right? It's, it's, you know, that mentality of like, no matter what it takes, I'm just going to work as hard as I can until I move past the situation or accomplish my goal. And that really does overcome a lot of obstacles. Like you said, during the deal, after the deal and moving forward in your business career. Yeah. The other saying I heard is that as an entrepreneur, there's flexible hours. You could pick any 24 hours a day you want to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. When I bought one of my businesses, I uh, we had a pasta business. So we underestimated that uh, we were going to be two young kids uh, following two little old ladies running a very gourmet food store. And the customer base just didn't accept us in the beginning. So we just had to work twice as hard, open more hours, and we did it. I mean, it was great. Right. I mean, that's how, you know, my husband and I made it in this business too. When we started in this business, we were 28 or 29 and an industry that's typically a little bit more experienced, we'll say. Um, so that's, that was our competitive advantage. We just worked harder, but it's, it's a good, good one to keep in mind, not just during the deal, but after the deal. Okay. So the next one that we're going to talk about is that you should really hire or use a business broker or some type of M&A advisor that can help you understand what the norms are in buying and selling a business. You know, I think one of the biggest um, skills that business brokers have are, you know, we're exceptional negotiators and we know what's typical in a deal and we know what's not typical a deal in a deal and also understand that valuation piece really well too. Yeah, I agree. I if I always tell people in a deal, it it's like you need eyes in the back of your head. And since you don't have eyes in the back of your head, you need two sets of eyes. And so somebody who can watch your back uh, is essential in the deal. 
uh, and somebody watching the deal and knowing the norms of the deal and can be the intermediary when emotions take over. I, I think that's really, really important. It's very underestimated. It's kind of like a nuance in a deal that if you have an intermediary, I think it's just going to go better or it's just going to go. I mean, how many deals do we see uh, that people try to do on their own? Uh, and then they call us up later, right? They, oh, we got, we're, we're all set. We got our own deal. And then what happens? It doesn't go through most of the times. And I don't think we actually have good statistics on the number of businesses that sell for sale by owner versus brokers, but it's much lower on for sale by owners. And the reason is because you are going to see challenges in a deal. Um, not every business, no business actually is perfect. And you're going to discover things through the due diligence process that that might scare you a little bit. But if you're working with an intermediary that's had experience doing deals before in that industry, they're going to be able to tell you, okay, this is typical, or this is how you overcome this, or this is how you protect yourself in the risk of the situation. Um, you, you know, and, and that's why the deals go forward. I mean, and there's a joke in our industry that every deal, every deal dies somewhere between three and nine times, depending on who you ask. But these, at the end of the day, Business sales is, it's not easy. It's not easy to buy a business. It's not easy to sell a business and having somebody help you and also kind of sometimes be the bad guy and ask the tough questions, right, Andy? Yeah, I mean, you definitely need someone to be the bad guy. Uh, you could actually uh, use an intermediary very favorably, favorably to deliver bad news at certain times. Uh, we've been the bad guy uh, to tell even someone's friend or someone's wife or someone's kids uh, in a deal uh, that they just can't have what they're asking for. And it's invaluable to getting a deal done. So it's really important. So the next one that you uh, were, we were about to talk about is you always need some money in escrow or you need to have a right of offset on a seller note to make sure that any liabilities left behind, and it could be done innocently. We've seen pl plenty of times where a seller uh, thinks they took care of all the liabilities and they didn't. And it's just nice to have some money put aside that those kind of things that crop up can be taken care of, right? Yeah, I think this is one of those, you know, very specific deal structuring things that it doesn't get talked about a lot unless you're working with a broker, but there's a number of ways you can do this. You can hold it in escrow. Like you said, you can offset against a note, you can hold back. There's a lot of different structural ways to accomplish this. But, and, and like you said, Andy, oftentimes it's innocent, but when you're running a business, there's just a lot of moving parts and one or two liabilities could slip the seller's mind. And instead of having to chase them down and figure out who pays what and how to get it cleared up, you just take that money back from the escrow to pay it off or offset it through the seller note. Yeah. And, and you're just going to want to make sure that your attorney writes it up properly back to number one, that you have the right attorney that knows how to do this. And number two, uh, beware, most attorneys or escrow firms don't like to hold money post-closing. They really don't like it. So they probably won't do it, uh, but you could certainly ask. Yeah. Or they'll do it for a short period of time. But I think what we're talking about here is a longer period of time. So sometimes that offset against a seller note works really well too. Yeah. I'm thinking six months to a year, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and I think most, most attorneys, most escrow agents, like 30, 60 days, they don't have a problem holding it. But beyond that, they don't like to do it too often. So the next one we're going to talk about is 
changes in the business. So this is a big one. Actually, I think everyone we've said this is a big one, Um, but that's why we're doing this show is to help prevent risk in buying a business. But a lot of buyers, when you're coming in and looking at these deals, I think the benefit you have of these outside eyes is you see holes and opportunities where you can increase and drive value in the future for yourself. But really, you don't want to change anything in the business for at least six months. Look at the first six months as a learning period where you go in, you learn the business, you observe, you get to know the people. Just consistency is really key in that first six months. Yeah, I've seen people do this over and over again where they change something that they didn't think was material or going to, you know, that they thought was going to build the business even more and it just ruins the business and they have to scramble to try to put it back in place. I can think of a uh, an embroiderer who was doing these beautiful uh, embroidery uh, sweatshirts and t-shirts that they sell up in, you know, the Colorado, these big design things for resorts. And then, you know, the person gets in there and they go out and get a big uh, Fortune 500 companies, uh, you know, stitch per inch, uh, basically, uh, t-shirts or work shirts and the small little margins, but millions of dollars, they got this deal and, and it just killed the business because they couldn't do the high margin things that they were doing. So people, people do this all the time and we were so frustrated. I want to pull my hair out or I did. (laughs) Yeah, we had, actually, it was a, a friend of mine bought a business from us and, um, it was, it was in the construction industry. And what they were really good at is they had a great sales force. So, you know, he came in, looked at the numbers and said, oh, well, if the commission rates were a little bit lower, I'd save X amount on the margin. So he came right in right away and changed commission structures, which is like, if you're going to change anything, don't change the sales commission structures <laughs> in a business. But obviously um, there was some turnover in that business. But just, I think that's the, those are the things where if you come in and you're just observing for the first few months or even year, you can see how all these different opportunities or ideas that you have in your head would play out when implemented in the business. So again, really big one. Yeah, it's great. And so the next one is insurance. Insurance is such a big deal these days that you need to have a good insurance agent. So when you're going in there, make sure that they know their stuff in your industry. And it, it it's truly become a specialized uh industry these days where people know their niche really well, can save you a bunch of money, but also can save you, can rescue you when you need it, right? Right. And we actually, if you haven't listened to the episode, we just did an episode about insurance related to business sales. It was about three episodes ago. Um, And one of the guests we had on talked about just that. He was a specialist in the construction industry. And, you know, construction has a lot different risks than a typical business has, um, like other industries. Everyone has their own nuances. And again, it's really critical nowadays, unfortunately, um, especially in the U.S. um, We're looking at more litigation probably than ever. So having those insurance policies really protect you um, from the risk and risk of going out of business in some some regards. And I wouldn't also trust that what the seller had in place when you purchased the business is necessarily what you're going to need moving forward. Um, one of the other things we talked about in the insurance episode is that if you make any changes to your business, hiring people, adding services, adding locations, it all affects your insurance policies. Absolutely. So you definitely need a good insurance agent. Don't skimp. Uh, 
the business you're taking over is probably underinsured. I mean, sellers, like you said, they make expansion, uh, they do expansion uh, plans and uh, they implement uh, new sales, uh, you know, all the things that would change the way that they should be covered. So you should really look at that. Right. And again, that's, I think episode 57 is about three back. If you want to check that one out, the next way to mitigate risk that we're talking about is you should be buying a business with good systems in place. So you should be seeking out businesses that have solid intangibles. So it could be, you know, either a brand or long-term customers or software or CRM, um, just something that has like a really good foundation so that you don't have to worry about building that foundational process. You can scale it as a buyer. Um, and there's, there's a lot of different ways to do this in buying a business, right, Andy? Yeah, there's a lot of ways. You could buy a franchise. I mean, franchises are historically less risky uh, than other businesses. If you're a first-time buyer, you might want to consider a franchise because they give you the system. They give you the training. Uh, they have a brand. So those are great ways to uh, mitigate risk. But the other thing is, like, I just, like, have a rule. I just love businesses that have been around for a long time. I mean, think about a business that's been around 10, 20 years. I mean, People, people hate change, hate change, don't they? Yeah. They, yeah. They, I mean, really don't like change, but I think what's good is if you're sitting in the buyer's position right now, and again, referencing back an episode we just did, the seller tsunami um, and baby boomers retiring, there's so many good businesses coming to the market right now that have, you know, not even five, but 10, 20, 30 years history that you can really just take, have solid systems in place, really good reputations. And then you're just coming in and you're enhancing what's already been built. So you're not necessarily changing the whole structure, but you're, you're using all that history to gain momentum in the future. The better the systems, the better the business, and you'll see it almost right away. Right. I, but you know, sometimes when they don't have systems is an opportunity, but again, you might not want to be swimming upstream on that. Yeah, I was going to say too, I mean, this is also going to reflect your multiple or purchase price. There's going to be better opportunities and better values with businesses that have less systems in place and less history. And the ones that have very strong his, uh, history and very strong systems, solid customers, you're going to pay a higher multiple for. And that's just those intangibles that drive when we've talked about valuation before, we talk about quantity and quality of earnings. That's on that quality side. And it's going to drive the multiple a little bit higher. There's also going to be more competition for that deal too. Right. And then the last thing that we want to go over is the relationship with the seller post transaction. So you definitely want a strong non-compete, but you want a good relationship with the seller, right? Yeah. I mean, you have to look at this as kind of um, a short-term marriage, right? You're, you're going to work with the seller to transition this business. But I always tell people like, unlike um, commercial real estate or residential real estate, you're not just buying a property for somebody and then the seller's walking away and you're good to go on your own. There's a whole training and transition process that could take anywhere from two weeks up to a few months or even a year if the seller is going to stay on working in some capacity with you. So, you know, having a good non-compete is one part of it. Also having a really good training and transition plan um, for post-sale is another big part of it. Yeah. I mean, you definitely want to take over. You do want to make sure you're the boss. You don't want to leave any loose ends like that. You don't want employees going to the old seller and complaining or asking for different things. But so you definitely want to be in charge, but at the same time, don't burn that bridge. There's just no reason to burn that bridge. And uh, you want a strong non-compete, make sure that you're protected, 
Um, and listen, most of the businesses, like we said, seller tsunami, most of the people that are selling are not going to go back in business. They're leaving because they're old, they're tired, they're moving on to something else. So we don't see, a, I, I, in my 20 something years, I've seen very few sellers go back and compete with the buyers that bought their business. So they're rooting for you. And a lot of times you have, they have sell, they have a seller note, which they have money at stake, but you know, nothing makes up uh, a good transaction, like good paperwork that protects you from the seller going back into business and making a good transition, making sure that they're there during the transition and that, that you have specific hours that they have to be there, all those kind of things. Right. And I think this goes back. And if you look at, you know, these 11 ways that we've talked to you about, about how to reduce your risk, it goes back to having a really good advisory team. Um, and kind of maintaining this relationship with the seller goes back to, you know, use your broker, use your intermediary, use your attorney, use them to be the bad guys. So you have a really solid relationship with the seller post-transaction. But everything we've talked about, if you surround yourself with a really good advisory team, you really drastically reduce the risk in buying a business overall. Yeah. And, but at the end of the day, you must understand that you are the leader of that team and you are willing to take risk. So, you know, we're talking about minimizing risk. We're not talking about evaporating risk or removing it completely. You, as an entrepreneur, uh, it, my brother always says, who's an attorney, he always tells me, Andy, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And I'm like, well, you're not me. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. You're an attorney. You want to, you know, you're, you're always looking to mitigate risk. I'm looking to take risk, but I want to take less risk. And this was a great conversation uh, and 11 points to go over to understand ways that you can minimize your risk in a deal. Right. So we hope he's taken a lot out of the show. We've got a few, uh, a deal of the week and a listing of the week to round out the show too. And check out the show notes for some of the important points that we've covered. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our deal of the week. Deal of the week. Sold. Hey, we're back and we have a very special guest, JT Tatum, Trans World Business Advisors of Greenville and other places now, right? Right, JT? That's right. Yes, sir. Greenville, we we'll just call it Trans World Business Advisors of the Upstate of South Carolina and Western North Carolina. There you go. And you just closed a really nice deal that you want to tell everybody about. Yeah, great, great deal. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate you allowing me to share this. And this was a uh, landscape design firm, 20 years in business, woman-owned business uh, in the upstate of South Carolina. And um, business doing about a $1.3, $1.4 million a year at 10 to 12% year-over-year growth with an SDE of about $245,000. Wow. Um, great, great team of people. She's really built up a great following. And um, that business was, we listed it after doing a broker opinion of value uh, at, at 780000 mm -hmm. uh, and also had property attached to it. She owned 17.9 acres, 
which had been appraised at 545. So the deal closed at uh, 1.25 million. So we got the uh, 545 for the appraisal and 725 for the business. Right. So that's a that's a strong multiple. I mean, that was almost a three multiple, right? Three times. That's yeah, that's correct. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And it was an SBA funded deal. Um, and the buyer came with his own down payment. The seller held a little bit of a note. We had a $50,000 hold back um, just so that they would have some incentive to stay on. And, and she has uh, to make a smooth transition from the, uh, from the buyer. An interesting story on the buyer. I, I met this guy. He was a corporate uh, retiree. He had gotten a package from the company that he was with. And uh, after six months of being retired, he decided he needed to do something on his own. So he came to see me. We went through kind of a seller, uh, sorry, a buyer interview, you know, what kind of businesses you're looking for, revenue, return on investment, et cetera. And then we got to the very, very end of about an hour long conversation. And he says, so what do you think? So I went through a couple of listings that we had and I got to this landscaping design firm. And I said to him, you know, I get this landscaping company. And he said, well, you know, I don't know much about landscaping unless it's XYZ company. I wouldn't be interested. And I said, wait right here. So I went back to my office and I got a non-disclosure document. I slid it across the table to him and I said, fill this out. He said, what is it? I said, just trust me on this one. So he put his name on it. We filled it out. I said, it is XYZ company. He said, you're <laughs> That's kidding. Funny. I said, no. He said, I'm a client. They do my garden. Okay. And my wife and I see their trucks all over town. And we always thought, man, that is a great business. If that thing ever became available, we would buy it. I said, well, here's your opportunity. And uh, less than 90 days later, he was the owner. Wow, that's a great story. So that obviously good deals for good people. They love that business, right? Yes, they love the business. The seller is thrilled to be able to have them come in. He's going to be able to take the business to the next level. The seller was a horticulture person by nature. She loves flowers, but doesn't really know technology and process improvement. This guy comes from the corporate world. That's what he knows. And he's excited to be able to take it to the next level. And so is she to be able to pass it on to him. So, wow, great deal. Uh, JT, if anybody else wants to find a great business like that, their dream business, what's the best way to get yeah, that? Yeah, well, you know, I appreciate that. They can get me at JT Tatum. That's J T A T E is an echo, M is in Mike at tworld.com or 864-315-8998. Great deal. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Andy. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for listing of the week. So for our listing this week, we have Chris Cantwell with us from our Denver office, and he has the perfect business for a first-time entrepreneur. Thanks, Jessica. Yeah, I have a great carpet cleaning business. It's actually a franchise model, which offers a new business buyer a ton of support and direction and marketing related to how they can grow their business. The nice advantage to this opportunity is the sellers are willing to carry 50% of the deal. We've got it listed at $110,000 today. So with $55,000 down, you'll be getting over $68,000 in cash flow under the current model. Monthly payments on a transaction like this would be about $1,000. So if you'd like to learn more about a great first-time business buyer opportunity in the carpet cleaning industry, reach out and give us a call. Sounds like a fantastic opportunity. I mean, the kind of deal where you make your down payment back in less than a year. So Chris, how can they reach you for more information? Feel free to call me directly at 303-408- 
1-800-273-3882 or email me at chris, C-H-R-I-S, at tworlddenver.com. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for tuning in to our show today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review. If you have questions or suggestions for the show, visit us at tworld slash the deal board or email us at the deal board at tworld.com. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.